many of us, if not most of us, were, were familiar with the Christmas story, right? The events uh, surrounding the birth of Jesus. And, you know, even if you, didn't, if you didn't grow up in the church or perhaps you're not very religious, um, you probably still have a general sort of idea of the Christmas story, you know, uh, surrounding Jesus. Something about Jesus, he was, you know, born in a manger. Uh, something about Bethlehem. And there's shepherds involved and angels and the three wise men. These are all things that are part of our culture. They're part of the Christmas story. And, you know, whether you realize it or not, most of the information that we have and know and get about Jesus and his birth is actually from only two of the four Gospels. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And actually, there's only two of them that actually really talk about Jesus' birth. Gospel of Mark, he doesn't say anything about it. He starts with a little bit about John the Baptist and then gets straight into Jesus' ministry. And the Gospel of John, he takes a different approach by going, you know, in the beginning was the Word. And he takes that approach. But it's actually only in Matthew and Luke's Gospels that we have all uh, the information that, that we have about Jesus' birth. Um, and it's cool because they, they sort of, they complement one another. You know, we read some of Matthew this morning. And Matthew's gospel is, is the one where we learn about the, um, the three wise men and um, them having to flee to Egypt when, when Jesus was young. And the gospel of Luke, which we're going to hear some of on Christmas Eve, that's where we learn about them having to go to Bethlehem to do the census and Jesus being born in, in a manger and, and the shepherds and the angels and that kind of thing. And so together we get this, this picture of of the Christmas story. Another interesting fact about the Gospel of Matthew and Luke is that Luke tends to narrate things from Mary's side. So we sort of, we get Mary's perspective of things. And the Gospel of Matthew gives us more of of Joseph's perspective on things. And I often think that that Joseph is often the, the, the forgotten hero of the nativity story. You know, we tend to focus a lot on, obviously, Jesus and Mary. But it's really easy to overlook how important Joseph's role was in the birth of Jesus and then, of course, in his development as a child into, into adulthood. And so today, as we look at the scripture we just read there, we're going to see how Joseph was definitely not your average Joe. And so we begin with a, a dilemma, a rather serious dilemma. This is kind of a, a bit of a problem, actually. Um, listen to what it says in verse 18 here. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, it's easy to just read that and just be like, oh, yeah, okay, well, But to not really think about the situation, I want you to imagine the situation for a moment. Imagine Mary coming to Joseph and saying, okay, I know this looks bad. This doesn't look good. I I understand this. But I I promise you, I swear it was the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Can you imagine somebody saying that to you today? Would you buy it? That's, you know, you'd be like, I've heard some good ones in my day, but, you know, really, the Holy Spirit did that, you know. So imagine that situation. Imagine Joseph, the dilemma he faces here. 
angst it would have caused, you know? I mean, we, we know how stressful it can be today. You know, if you, if you suddenly find you're pre- pregnant unexpectedly, and it doesn't seem like, oh, this is the fault, you know, there's, it can get so complicated. So imagine if, that, if that's the case still today in 2020, imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago where things were far more strict and people were far more devout. Joseph has a real problem here, as does Mary. And usually when you have a problem or a decision to make, what do you do? What's one of the things you do? Well, you ask the question, what are my options? You ever had to do that with a problem or something? You think, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're looking at buying a new car. And you go to the dealership and you ask the dealer, what, what are my options? What can I do here? What kind of rates can you give me? Perhaps you're dealing with a lawyer and there's some legal stuff going on. And the lawyer's like, okay, here are your options. Perhaps you're facing some kind of medical treatment and the doctor will lay out, here are your options. So when we have a problem, we ask this question, what are my options? And so what options did Joseph have? And remember, at this point, he's not had any angelic visitation. All he knows is that Mary has a baby bump and he didn't have anything to do with it. And yes, back then, they did still know how babies basically happen. So what are his options? What are his options? Well, number one, he could divorce her publicly. And he could make a big scandal out of it. And he could drag Mary's name through the mud, call her an adulterer, call her a cheater, and she's unfaithful, and how hurt he is and how scarred he is. And actually, on the surface of it, that would probably be the best option for Joseph. That would allow him to save the most faith, uh, face and come out of this as the victim. So that's one option. Number two, he could, he could lie and he could say, you know what, uh, the child is mine. We had a bit of a slip up. But that would ruin Joseph's reputation as a righteous man. And as we read this morning, he had that reputation. He was a good man. Thirdly, he could make some money out of this by demanding back the dowry that his father would have put down. This was called the bride price. And he could have got that back and said, you know what, I want that money back because she's been unfaithful. So he could have made a little money out of it. But instead, what does he do? He, he goes with a fourth option. Listen to what we hear in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So because he's righteous, because he's a good man, Joseph decides he's going to divorce her quietly, which he could do back then. You only needed two witnesses. And despite the, the anguish and the hurt and the betrayal he must be feeling at this point, he decides to be honorable about it. Have you ever had someone be unfaithful to you? Somebody betray you? Betray your trust? You know, I can relate to this story because um, you may not know this, but I, I had a fiancé who was unfaithful to me many years ago. Be glad to know it was not Sarah. <laughs> but before I ever knew Sarah, I was actually I was engaged to another, another girl. And um, as it turned out, she was unfaithful a number of times. And at the time, I was devastated. I was absolutely just full, just beside myself. I felt so hurt, and I was 
Thought I was so in love, asking how could this happen? And I don't know if I would have reacted the same way as Joseph if I lived back then in those times. You know, because Joseph, he doesn't, he doesn't go the route of revenge and payback like perhaps many of us would. He doesn't try to assassinate her character or destroy her life and go all cancel culture on her, as they say today. He doesn't try to do that. That's what our culture today would tell you to do. She was unfaithful. She'd betray you. You need to run her name through the muck. Shame her. Get on social media right now. Call her out. Post her address. You know, that's what we'd be encouraged to do today, isn't it? But no. What does Joseph do? Because he's a good, righteous man, he opts to just quietly end it and help Mary save some face. Because remember, at this point, he's thinking, you know what? She's, right now, she's pregnant with somebody else's kid. Now, let me pause for a second because I know that some of you smart cookies might be asking the question, Hang on, if they're only engaged, right, because it says in the scripture we just read, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. If they're only engaged, why is Joseph referred to as Mary's husband? And why are they even talking about divorce? I mean, just break the engagement, right? That's what you do today, right? No harm done. We didn't sign any papers. Whew. I can still get out. Well, in ancient Jewish tradition, uh, marriage was done a little bit differently from how we do it here in the West in our, in our 21st uh, century culture. And it actually it had two parts to it, two main parts anyway. And the first part was, was the, the engagement, the betrothal. And when you were betrothed to somebody else, you actually you signed a marriage contract. So this was legally binding. And then what would happen is the bride would still live with her family for about a year. And the groom's father would pay a dowry to the bride's family. And in this year, um, it was typical for once they were married for the, the bride to live with the groom's family. That was kind of, they would move in with the groom and, and, and his family. Aren't you glad you're not living in those times? But the engagement period was usually about a year. And in that time, they would be preparing the house for the moving of the, of, of the bride. So they'd be preparing a room, perhaps they'd be building an addition, all these kind of things. And it was usually around a year. But they were legally bound at this point. And then after a year, what would happen was the, the, the groom would come and claim his bride. She would come to live with him. They would have a marriage ceremony. They would consummate the marriage. And then that, that was sort of the end of it. Okay? So at this point, they were legally uh, betrothed to each other. And there was a contract. So to break the betrothal off, they would have to go through a divorce. And Joseph, again, because he is good and righteous man, after weighing up his options, he opts to just quietly end it and help Mary save some of her reputation. But, as is often the case... We look at our options, we come to a decision, we think we've got it all figured out, and then God says, um, I don't think so. You've experienced that? You think you got it all worked out, right? Everything's lining up. I know what I'm doing. 
It makes sense. And then God shakes it up and says, actually, no, I'm going to have you go in a completely different direction. And you don't know where to look. And it's because God says, um, I don't think so. See, here's the deal. God has other plans for Joseph. He's got other plans for Mary and Jesus. And something we need to remember is that, and it should actually give us a lot of comfort, is that God always has a plan. Always. He's the most prepared being you can imagine. There's nothing takes him by surprise. There's nothing like, oh, I didn't see that coming. He has a plan. He's had a plan from the beginning. That should give us a lot of comfort. That even when we feel sometimes like things are spiraling out of control, you know, perhaps you look at our society today and you're like, what is going on? You look at the political arena, you're like, what is going on? You look around the world, what is going on? You know what? God knows what's going on. He has a plan. And guess what? Nothing, nothing can thwart the plans of God. Nothing. Even when it looks like his plan is being thwarted, it's not that part of the plan. God is in control. And you know what? That goes for you too. God has the grand, the grand plan of redeeming creation, redeeming us. But then he has a plan for each and every one of you. That's how precious you are to him. And God had a plan for Joseph. Listen to what it says in verses 20 and 21. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So God knew in his wisdom and his foresight that Joseph would need an angelic encounter, a supernatural encounter to really believe Mary's story. And it's a reminder, Joseph was human. He's just like you and me. I think we'd need an angelic encounter, wouldn't we? If somebody said, the Holy Spirit got me pregnant, I think we would need that same kind of affirmation. And God in his wisdom knew this. Because, let's be honest, it's really hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? Mary was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, that, it is a hard thing to grasp. It's a hard thing to, to believe, isn't it? But is it? Is it? I mean, we're talking about God here. We're talking about God. The creator, the sustainer of all things. The source of life itself. I mean, if we believe what we read in the book of Genesis, that God spoke the universe and creation into existence, that it was all created by his word. We read again and again in Genesis, don't we? And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be water. God said, let us make mankind in our image. If we can believe that Jesus died on the cross and God raised him back to life after three days, if we can believe that, and hopefully we do, then of course he could create human life without the need for a biological father. Of course he could. Why would that be hard for God? The angel 
instructs Joseph to not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This was, a, by the way, a typical reaction to angels when you read them in the Bible. Angels are awesome beings. And the general reaction was one of absolute terror until they were told to do not be afraid. But that phrase there in the scripture, do not be afraid, it doesn't actually mean do not be in fear, but rather it means do not shrink back from doing something. Don't shrink back from doing what God has called you to. In other words, the angel is telling Joseph that God has a specific plan and role for Joseph and he's not to shrink back from what God's calling him to. The angel also tells Joseph that it's going to be a boy and he's to name him Jesus. Jesus. Why Jesus? Why the name Jesus? I mean, was that the number one trending name in 1 AD? It's Liam for 2019, by the way, if you're wondering. Do you know what the name Jesus actually means? Well, of course, it's, it's from the Hebrew name Yeshua. So Jesus actually would have been, in his day, he would have been called Yeshua. Aramaic was the language they spoke, which is a, a similar language to, to Hebrew. And from Yeshua, we get the Greek Iesus. Remember the New Testament that we just read from this morning. Its original language is Greek. So we've got Yeshua to Iesus, and then Iesus was anglicized into Jesus. That's how we get the name Jesus. But the name actually means Yahweh is salvation, or the Lord saves. That's what Jesus' name means, the Lord saves. And that's, it's so significant, folks, because Joseph is being divinely directed to give this name to the child, the Lord saves, because guess what? That's exactly what Jesus has come to do is to be the savior of the world. Verse 21 says, he will save his people from their sins. You know who his people are? You. You're his people. There is people out there. And he's come to save us from our sins. This is God's plan coming to fruition. This is God's plan happening. And God, as I said, he's had this plan from the beginning. And it was prophesied over 700 years ago. Matthew says in verse 22 to 23, he's quoting here from the prophet Isaiah. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, again, some of you smart cookies... I cannot say that word normally, I'm sorry, since living in Massachusetts. <laughs> Some of you smart cookies might be asking, well, which is it? Is he called Jesus or is he called Emmanuel? Well, both. Jesus was his name. That was his personal name, just, just, just like my name is Dan. But Emmanuel was one of his titles, just like pastor is one of my titles. But Jesus is called Emmanuel because we're told it means God is with us. And in Jesus, that's exactly what we have. He is God incarnate, God come in the person of Jesus to be among us, to walk with us, and to live with us. This was God's plan. And it was not God's plan that Joseph would quietly divorce Mary. 
but that instead he would actually adopt Jesus as his own son. That's also really significant because by Joseph naming Jesus, this meant he was taking Jesus as his own son and that Jesus would be legally recognized as Joseph's son. Thus, because of that, Jesus was literally now a legitimate descendant of Joseph. And guess who Joseph is a descendant of? King David. So Jesus is now a descendant and comes from the royal line of King David. And again, why is this so important? Because it's to fulfill prophecy that we read in the Bible from hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. Listen to what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 to 13. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. And by the way, he's talking to David when he's making this prophecy. I will raise up your offspring to succeed your own flesh and blood and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. That's talking about Jesus. And then finally, in verse 24, we read, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph didn't say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Is this really from you? But he just had a simple faith, trust, and obedience. the last part of that scripture says that Joseph waited until Mary had given birth to Jesus before, um, before taking her to be his wife. And that's an interesting point to make because, you know, often we have this, this concept, this idea that, that we talk about the Virgin Mary and how she was, uh, a lot of people think she was a virgin for her whole life. Well, the scripture doesn't really imply that. It says until, until. And it would make sense in those days that actually it was a blessing. It was a blessing from God to, to have relations with your wife and your husband in the context of marriage. And so this, it's unlikely that she remained a virgin for the rest of her life. That's it's not, a, not a problem. We also read in the Bible about Jesus having brothers and sisters. So probably after Jesus was born, which was through a supernatural intervention after that, they probably had quite a normal life as a family would back then. But what can we learn from Joseph? What can we learn from Joseph? Well, number one, he was compassionate and merciful. He didn't throw Mary to the wolves. Even when technically he had the right to, he didn't do that. He was compassionate to her. He showed her mercy. Secondly, he was selfless and sacrificial. So by... Again, think about the context here. By adopting and raising Jesus as his own son, he would actually most likely face a lifetime of suspicion and maybe even ridicule. Any of you grown up in a, in a small town or a small community? And what's one of the things you find about a small town or a, full, a small community? Gossip travels real fast, doesn't it? Everybody knows what everybody else is up to. Nazareth was a small town, and people would have known that Mary was pregnant out of wedlock, 
And I'm sure the question would always linger, is that really Joseph's son? That's Jesus, yeah. He kind of looks like the baker. You know, they'd be thinking all these things. Is that really Joseph's son? What a fool Joseph is. What a, what a loser for raising somebody else's child. He was locking himself into that. A lifetime of speculation from his neighbors and his friends. Perhaps it became an uncomfortable subject that nobody talked about. But he was being selfless and sacrificial. And then thirdly, he was faithful and obedient. He was faithful and obedient in incredulous circumstances. Joseph trusts in the Lord and does what the Lord asks of him. He did not shrink back from what God was calling him to. And you know what? That should be the same for us folks. Don't shrink back from what God's calling you to. You know, sometimes we do know that God is calling us to something, don't we? And we like to ignore it sometimes and pretend, no, I don't think that is God. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we just don't want to do. But the Lord is saying, don't be afraid. Don't shrink back from what I have called to you. You know, if you want to see the Lord work in powerful ways in your life, then you must walk walk in powerful, logic-defying faith. If you live your life like that, you're going to see miracles. When you live with that crazy kind of faith that Joseph had and other people we read about in the Bible, you will see miracles in your life. And you're going to experience a vibrant, transforming relationship with God because you're living by faith. Or you can go on living like the average Joe. For Joseph, that wasn't an option. He was definitely not your average Joe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Joseph. That he was a righteous man who was faithful to what you had called him to. Well, we don't know the influence that he truly had on Jesus' life because we don't really read much about him after this. But we know, Lord, that he must have been a very important influence in Jesus' life. He was his earthly father. He was the one who raised him, who gave him a skill set. We know, Lord, that he took on the trade that you'd given to Joseph, that he was a carpenter, a tradesman. Help us to see him as an inspiration for how we can be obedient to you, Lord, how we can be faithful to your calling on our lives. And Lord, give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to walk in what you've called us and to trust that your plan for our lives is always the best plan, even if it goes against what we think is the best plan. And so Lord, I ask that you bless us this week. Help us to hear your voice and to trust in you. And we pray this in Christ our Lord.